from uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, and I'm reading from verse 22, Matthew 14, and reading from verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boats and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, You are the Son of God. Let's pray together as we come to open up God's word this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word we discover your Son, Jesus Christ, and his love and compassion for us. And we pray that in, as we delve into your word this morning, as we grapple with your scripture, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear you speaking to us. We pray this now through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our text for the year, um, this year, anybody remember it? <clears throat> it's quite an easy one to remember, isn't it? Anybody uh, had somebody shout it out last week? I think it was Peter last week. Anybody else want to give it a go? Yes, come on, let's pass. That's okay, no, that's great, yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful, somebody started and somebody else finished it off. Uh, a teamwork, yeah, we do, uh, we do want people to carry this text with them. Uh, around the year and it to be an encouragement to you and uh, something that you uh, do try to, to memorise so you've got it to, on your, on, written on your heart as well as written on the little uh, card that we give you to help you to memorise it. And at the beginning of this new year we've started uh, a new series uh, all about dysfunctional disciples because that's what we are. Uh, you weren't insulted when I said what a, a bunch of dysfunctional disciples you were because I was including myself in that in that uh, uh, description. I'm just as dysfunctional as you are when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. And what we're doing over these uh, opening weeks in the new year is we're looking at these dysfunctional disciples trying to learn from some of their mistakes. 
trying to, to see uh, how sometimes they got it wrong. But you can learn, you learn most lessons actually uh, by getting things wrong and trying and trying again until hopefully eventually we get it right. And what we see in the disciples is a group of people who uh, more often than not got it wrong. Uh, but Jesus didn't give up on them. Uh, the inspiration for this, uh, sorry, last week, um, we were, the first week we looked at dissatisfied disciples, didn't we? Do you remember? And uh, we saw how Jesus called them uh, by the lake. And we, and we said that it wasn't about loose change. It wasn't about just giving a little bit of what you have left over. It was about giving everything. Uh, we said that you shouldn't expect overnight change, that Jesus was going to work with this group of people uh, over the years to shape them and to form them and to put the people he wanted them to be. We said it did involve a change of direction. We talked about Jesus' call to repent, and we said that's about turning around and going in a different direction. And it was about a change of minds. It was allowing the mind of Christ uh, to direct us. It was about a change of behaviour, about stop doing certain things and starting to behave in a different way. And it was about changing our world, uh, changing the world that we live in and changing the world that God has made. And then we were looking at uh, despairing disciples and this was uh, Jesus uh, with the disciples on the, on the lake when the storm came. And uh, we saw that... Uh, we talked about following Jesus doesn't mean there won't be a cost. We talked about the cost of discipleship. Uh, we said following Jesus uh, doesn't mean that you won't get caught in a storm. We said that sometimes people experience storms in their lives. And Jesus never said that he, he, we wouldn't go through storms. And we did say following Jesus means trusting in the one who has the power to calm the storm. That's what we were uh, thinking about last week. And this week... Uh, we're going to continue. And we're still, we're in water again. Uh, we're in deep water again. Do you like my sign? Uh, danger. Uh, deep water. And so we know that once again we're, we're in a, a dangerous situation with the uh, disciples. And this week we're thinking about disorientated disciples. Disorientated disciples. And looking at that passage in Matthew 14. Um, but you will, uh, if you've got a Bible, you'll notice that this follows uh, the feeding of the 5,000. The story that, uh, the, uh, the amazing uh, miracle that Jesus performed. And there is a link between these two stories. They are connected. They happen uh, right after one another. Jesus says, it says immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Uh, immediately after this miracle of the 5,000. Some people suggest that the reason why Jesus wanted the disciples to disperse so quickly was that in, in John's Gospel, the feeding of the 5,000, after Jesus had performed that miracle... Uh, the crowds wanted to make Jesus king, it says. And uh, Jesus, perhaps, it suggested, wanted to get the disciples out of hearing about that because it wasn't his time to become king. And uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is an interesting uh, illustration, again, of disorientated disciples because in the feeding of the 5,000, uh, you'll know the story very well, Jesus, uh, the disciples come to Jesus, it's near the end of the day, and he says, should we send the people away because it's, you know, it's, it's tea time. And Jesus turned around and says, no, you feed them. And uh, the disciples are disorientated because uh, they haven't got the means to feed them. And Jesus says it as if, you know, feed the cat sort of thing. You you go and feed them. And you know the story, they find a boy with five uh, uh, loaves and two fishes. And uh, was it five fishes and two loaves? I can't remember which. 
one or the other. Anyway, a, a boy with a pat lunch saves the day and Jesus prays and, and 5,000 peoples are healed. And uh, one of these things shows is that Jesus is not beyond interruptions. Previously, in, in the bit before, Jesus just heard the terrible news that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. So Jesus is absolutely distraught. And it says it in verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He wanted to get away from the crowds. He wanted to time to, to mourn and to grieve because a friend, his good friend, had been murdered. And yet all the crowds are hampering and want to see Jesus. And uh, Jesus isn't beyond interruptions because they interrupt him in his moments of grief. And Jesus isn't disorientated. He doesn't get cross when people interrupt him, even though he's wanting some solitary and wanting to get away. Uh, he, he doesn't get fed up when, when the, 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 the disciples don't understand what's going on. Uh, he's not disorientated. And so there is a connection between what goes on here and what happens next. Uh, all the, the people were fed and the disciples are sent down to pick up the leftovers and there's 12 baskets. And Jesus says, get into the boat and go ahead. And uh, again, he wants to get some peace and, and quiet. And so, uh, we're on the water again. Uh, and again, if you were if you were with us last week, uh, I was talking about my uh, love of the water, and uh, I showed you that little video clip of what happened after this. And one of the disturbing things about that is uh, the number of people who were disappointed that I didn't get uh, shoved out of the boat, but the wave didn't knock me out of the boat. It's actually a little bit concerning. Uh, people were disappointed. I'm not going to show you the video again because you've seen it last week. Uh, but I, I, I do like to be uh, to be on the water. Uh, but I, I feel quite secure in a boat. Um, I've, I've never actually tried walking on water, uh, despite the picture. Um, it's not real. Uh, and again, a warning sign, you know, don't try this at home. Uh, me and Steve are looking at the river. If you want to have a look at the river, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty high and it's running pretty fast. But don't try and go and walk on it. Uh, I wouldn't suggest that you do that. Uh, even though this is what Peter does in this story. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And the first thing I want to say about this story is that disoriented disciples go beyond their comfort zone. Disoriented disciples are disorientated because they are out of their comfort zone. Peter is a fisherman. Um, he's used to being out on the sea, even in rough conditions. Uh, this is his comfort zone. In the boats. He's the captain. He knows what he's doing. He's used to it. He feels very familiar within that boat. That's his comfort zone. This is outside of his comfort zone. Okay? So that's his comfort zone inside the boat. Outside of his comfort zone is walking on water. Disoriented disciples are disciples that go beyond their comfort zone. We might say the church is our comfort zone. You know, inside the church we feel, you know, quite secure and maybe even quite bold in our faith. We're surrounded by other people that, that believe like us and, and we feel, you know, we, we sing the songs with great gusto, uh, we pray great prayers and, and, and we feel quite comfortable really, don't we? Uh, this is our comfort zone. Uh, maybe outside of the church walls, 
is outside of our comfort zone. We perhaps don't feel quite as bold in professing our faith. We perhaps don't feel quite so bold in, in, in saying our prayers because we are outside that comfortable zone. And Peter, uh, the disoriented disciple, uh, moves beyond his comfort zone. And sometimes God does call us to go beyond our comfort zones, beyond what we are comfortable with, to do things. But we have to check that it's what God wants us to do. Uh, John Altberg, in his great book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, says this, I believe there is something, someone inside us, who tells us there is more to life than sitting in the boat. There is something inside you that wants to walk on water. Is that true? Something inside you that wants to walk on water? Uh, to leave the comfort of routine existence and abandon yourself to the high adventure of following God. That's what John Altberg says. Some of you might identify with that. Some of you might think, well, actually, no, I feel much better uh, staying in my comfort zone. Uh, but there is something in his story that's challenging us, isn't there? To kind of get out of whatever our comfort zone is, whatever our boat is, and to maybe go beyond uh, what we are comfortable with. But disoriented to disciples, um, what I like is this is this is one time we've got to celebrate this because a lot of the time Peter gets it wrong, and that's kind of what we associate Peter with. Peter always putting his foot in it, uh, but here actually he does get several things right. Peter is being, is known for kind of speaking first and thinking later. A lot of us can identify with that, can't we? Speaking first, thinking later, acting first, and then realising he's done the wrong thing. Here, remarkably, he does the right thing. He doesn't just jump out of the boat. He actually says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. In other words, he asks Jesus whether this is the right thing to do. And Jesus says, come. You know, normally, uh, if you're getting on a ship, uh, certainly in the Navy, you have to ask permission of the captain to come aboard. You know, permission to come aboard, captain. Well, here, there's a sense in which Peter says, permission to go overboard. Permission to go overboard. We do need to check things out. You know, sometimes I might have some crazy ideas about what we should be doing as a church. One of the things we have to try and do is check out, is this what God is actually asking us to do? It's not just a silly idea that somebody's had, the minister or somebody else. We do need to to check things out. Stepping out of our comfort zone doesn't necessarily mean doing ridiculous things in the name of Jesus. It means checking out what is it that God is calling us to do. And Peter for once gets it absolutely right. He checks with Jesus, is this the right thing to do or is it a silly idea? Because let's face it, the rest of the people in the boat probably thought it was a silly idea. And so it's interesting, sometimes silly ideas are the right thing to do. Often they're not, but we we weigh things and we seek God and we ask. Here... It's a lot easier for them because Jesus was there and Jesus says yes. So there's no doubt that when Peter steps out of the boat, he's doing what Jesus asked him to do. He's disorientated though because he's going to move out of his comfort zone. Disoriented disciples often experience or get that sinking feeling. Anybody had that sinking feeling? Do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like to uh, to suddenly find uh, that you're sinking? 
Uh, you've, you've, you've tried something and uh, it started okay, but then we, uh, we, we know that sinking feeling, don't we? And uh, Peter certainly experienced that sinking feeling. It says that uh, uh, Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, came towards Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cries out. He begins to sink. It's a little bit like, uh, you, do, do, do you remember the, the, uh, the cartoon with Willie, Willie Coyote and Roadrunner? Road and he always seems to run off the end of the cliff, isn't there? And there's that moment where he's kind of just hanging in thin air and he suddenly realises that there's no ground and he looks around. And there's a moment, isn't there, before he goes uh, tumbling down uh, into, uh, into the canyon and uh, ends up flat on his face. And there's a sense in which that's what Peter experiences. He suddenly seems to realise a situation that he's in, that he's not on firm ground. And he suddenly realises that, hang on a sec, uh, this water shouldn't really be holding me up. And at that moment in time, he starts uh, to get that sinking feeling. Sometimes that's how we feel, isn't it, when we step out of our comfort zone. You know, we've stepped out. I'm sure there's people here this morning who've tried something and they've stepped out of the comfort zone and it's failed. You know, maybe you decided you were going to try and speak to somebody about Jesus and it went terribly wrong. Uh, the person wasn't interested and you thought, oh, I'm not going to try that again. That was terrible. Uh, and you had that sinking feeling. Or maybe you had another idea and uh, you took it to the deacons and the deacons thought it was a terrible idea and you thought, well, I'm not going to suggest anything else. And you get that sinking feeling. We know what it's like, don't we? To have that sinking feeling when uh, when what we what, what we started out doing uh, suddenly doesn't work out how we imagined it would. And of course he says, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And again, uh, like when last week when we were in the storm, uh, they did the right thing, didn't they? They went to Jesus in their time of need. They cry out to God. And let's face it, uh, often, uh, I guess most of the prayers that are said in this land, in this country, are these sort of prayers. In a desperate situation where you're disorientated and people cry out. People do so, all sorts of strange things, don't they, when they're disorientated. Uh, several people have pointed out to me uh, this week on, on Facebook uh, the, uh, the the thing from GM uh, Police, where apparently, uh, it, oh, I'll read it to you, last night at approximately 22.30, a man from Cumstall area of North Manchester rang 999 in somewhat of a drunken state, demanding to speak to Alex Ferguson about last night's result. It says, and this is the police, this is the police comment. Obviously it's a sad and depressing moment when your football team loses a game. However, can we please remember that 999 is to be used for emergencies only? For other police related inquiries, there are non-emergency numbers that you can ring. If you'd like to speak to Alex Ferguson, if anyone wants to speak to Alex Ferguson, this is a police advice. Uh, try phoning Manchester United FC directly. You will probably, in brackets not definitely, have a much better chance of getting through to him rather than ringing the police. <laughs> This person didn't know where to go, did he? Uh, in his moments of uh, depression and disorientation. Uh, if you've heard, it's worth listening to the conversation. It's, it's absolutely classic because the police have actually released it because it is quite funny. And uh, the woman is very polite to him and she says, do you want to report a crime? He says, yeah, a crime. Man United has just been knocked out of the cup by, by Sunderland. A crime has been committed. <laughs> it's important, isn't it, that we know where to go in times of trouble. 
And uh, in times of trouble, we can always go to Jesus. Whatever storms we face, whatever difficulties we face, when we get that sinking feeling because things are going wrong, we can cry out. We can cry out to God. And it's important that we know that. That's why I encourage people, you know, to learn verses like our text for the year. So in those times, we've got something solid uh, that we can cling on to. And it's great, isn't it? Because because uh, Peter gets that sinking feeling, uh, but he also uh, gets that uplifted feeling. Uh, it says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And maybe you're in a situation this morning when that's what you want Jesus to do, just to reach out his hand and to catch you in whatever situation you might be experiencing in a moment in time. Uh, take comfort and uh, be encouraged by the fact that Jesus does reach out to us in our moments of need. And sometimes we experience not only that sinking feeling, but that uplifted feeling when Jesus actually reached down and clasps hold of our arm and pulls us out of whatever mess uh, we've got ourselves into. Jesus uh, then, of course, gives him a little lesson. Uh, you've got to you, you've got to smile at this, you know. Peter's probably thinking, "Just get me into the boat." But I think Jesus thinks, "Here's a teachable moment." You see, at the end of the day, Jesus is a rabbi, and he doesn't want to miss this teachable moment for Peter because Peter stepped out uh, in faith. He's walked on water, and Jesus obviously thinks this is a moment I, I can actually teach them. And he says to uh, he says to uh, uh, Peter, this oriented disciple, uh, "You of little faith." Now, if that rings a bell. Uh, maybe some, somewhere deep with inside your, your subconscious, you think that, 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 that sounds rather familiar. It's because it's exactly what Jesus said to the disciples last week when they're in the boat and the storm and they woke him. It's exactly the same words, you little faith. In fact, that phrase, you little faith, is repeated, um, I wrote it down somewhere, it's repeated at least, I think, four times in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew 6.30, 8.26, 16.8, And each time, he says it to the disciples, you of little faith. And here he also adds, you know, why did you doubt? Now then, it is an interesting term, isn't it? Because uh, most of us imagine that what we are aiming for is a strong faith, isn't it? That's what we want. We want we want a big faith. We don't want a little faith, do we? We want a big faith. We want a strong faith, not a weak faith. Isn't it interesting that this is the second of, of at least four occasions when Jesus has to say to the disciples, he has to teach them exactly the same lesson, you of little faith. I don't know about you, that encourages me that disciples didn't get it the first time, didn't even get it the second time, or the third time. At least four times Jesus had to remind them that they were a people of little faith. Because I'm a bit, a little bit like that. I don't always learn the first time. I don't know about you. Uh, I've got to hold my hand up and say I make the same mistakes time and time again. It would be lovely if we learned the first time, didn't we? And never made the same mistake again. But here we see the disciples, even though they've experienced the amazing, we sung, we sung, didn't we, how, how marvellous, how wonderful Jesus is. And, and the disciples must have been singing that all the time. You know, feeding 5,000 people, healing people left, right and centre, calming storms. How wonderful, how marvellous. And yet... Their faith doesn't seem to be built up and increased very much because whenever they face danger, it's like, help, oh, oh, get me out of here, uh, moment that we all experience. 
And it got me thinking, this, this phrase, you of little faith, I'm not sure that the, uh, the idea of being given that label is such a bad thing. It's interesting because as, as a church, as a group of deacons, you know, we've been looking at a mission statement and nobody suggested that we should, we, we should have a, as our strapline, Lum Baptist Church, the church of little faith. Nobody suggested that, strangely enough. Nobody suggested it. I actually, well, yeah, you can understand why, because uh, we don't want to have little faith, do we? We want big faith. But actually, you know, I'm not so sure about these people that say that they've got a big and strong faith. I'm not so sure. You know, Peter's early attempts to walk on water with Jesus uh, may have displayed an inadequate amount of faith. You know, we all need that safety ring, don't we? Uh, when we get out into deep waters. But I, I just wonder sometimes, you know, um, about people that suggest that they have a strong faith. Because I'm not sure that strong faith is always as strong as it appears to be. Because you see... In my experience, sometimes uh, people with a so-called strong faith think that they can tell God what to do rather than ask God permission. Sometimes people with a strong faith actually tell God what they think he ought to be doing, which to me seems to be the wrong way around. We should ask God, not tell God. We should remember our place in our relationship with God. We don't tell God what to do. We ask God what he wants us to do, and we do what he tells us. And sometimes with the people who have strong faith, uh, say things that sound like great statements of faith, but actually they, 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 they're actually telling God what they think he ought to be doing. Sometimes people of strong faith um, can't accept that they might be wrong, because their faith is so strong. And they believe that they've got this direct line to God and so that anything that they say uh, must be right because they're so in touch with God and their faith is so strong. Sometimes people with a strong faith find it difficult to admit that they might be wrong. Uh, it seems to me that one thing about the disciples, well, they couldn't help it. Jesus pointed out on several occasions that they had got it wrong. You have little faith. Sometimes people with strong faith see failure and weakness as something to be avoided at all times. Where actually it seems to me that the way that the disciples learned most was through their weakness and through their failure and through realising that they didn't have the strength to do it on their own, that in any and every situation they needed to cry out to God because they couldn't do it in their own strength. Sometimes we are guilty of trying to do things within our own strength and we label it as a strong faith. I'll give you an example. I could say to you as a church this morning, hey folks, the beginning of the new year, uh, here's a strong faithful statement. We could double the number of people that come to Lum Baptist Church. Amen? You're a bit, you're a bit cautious now. Nobody say, I suspect at least one person or two people say amen. But we could double the number of people coming to Lum Baptist Church, couldn't we? It sounds a really strong and faithful statement and a good thing to say. And, and it is, you know, we do want to see more people coming into Lumbax Church. But supposing I said, I believe that God has laid it on my heart that he's going to double the number of people coming to Lumbax Church. And all it will take is for each one of you to bring one person with you within the course of this year. Again, it sounds really good, doesn't it? Now, supposing we come back next year and uh, not much has changed... And you might say, which, what about that idea that you had about doubling the numbers? Now I can come back to you and say, well, well, I had the faith for it, but you obviously didn't because you've not invited anybody. So sometimes people with a strong faith can make statements that sound wonderful and marvellous, 
And then when things go wrong, they can, they can question other people's faith and say, well, it wasn't my fault because I had the faith, but it was your fault because you were people of little faith. And I just wonder sometimes, actually, whether that kind of label, little faith, isn't actually so bad at all. Because as long as our faith is little, uh, we're going to know that we need to rely on God. That we need to ask, continue to be asking God and seeking God and crying out to God. And Jesus did seem to say more than one or two things. He, I seem to recall him saying something that if you've got faith as, as big as a mustard seed, which isn't very big at all, um, you can do amazing things. Uh, you know, it's okay, I've got a, a super big faith. Uh, don't worry. <laughs> Some people have this approach to life. You know them and so do I. Uh, can I just tell you that standing on the edge of a cliff is a dangerous place to stand. If you don't think I know what I'm talking about, this is actually me. Standing on the edge of the cliff. Uh, I didn't do what that guy in the cartoon was, was doing. I didn't have enough faith to step off thinking that God might catch me. Uh, that would have been a foolish thing to do. But sometimes... Uh, you know, people say that they've got a strong faith and actually if you examine what they're saying and what they're doing and what they're suggesting it may actually be not as strong as it first appears the title Little Faith I'm actually quite comfortable because I know it's true for me that actually when, 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 it, when push comes to shove I've got a small amount of faith but don't be discouraged because a small amount of faith enabled Peter to walk on water. Let's not forget that. A little faith can actually go a long way. A little bit of faith got Peter out of that boat and onto the water. A little bit of faith, well that's more than I've ever done. And uh, I don't recall anybody else in the history of the world ever walking on water. Two people, Jesus and Peter. Peter had a little bit of faith that got him out of the boat onto the sea and for those few moments he experienced something of Jesus walking on water. I don't know what that's like but Peter knew what it was like. When he got into the, back into the boat there were 11 disciples who might have been smirking and saying Peter's done it again, put his foot in it but he could turn around to them and say when was the last time you walked on water? Because for a few moments he experienced that fantastic feeling of walking on water, being able to do something that Jesus has did. So it's not that we're not to try and attempt to do things that Jesus did, but not to be surprised when we don't do them quite as well as Jesus. I'll say that again. We shouldn't stop ourselves attempting to do the things that Jesus did. To pray for people, to try and uh, get people to to accept Jesus, to come to faith. We shouldn't not attempt those things, but we shouldn't be too surprised if we're not quite as successful as Jesus. Jesus didn't sink. The water stayed pretty firm under his feet. And uh, a little faith can go uh, a long way, because a little bit of faith might just get you out of the boat. A little bit of faith might just make a difference in the village of Lumen water. If we step out of our comfort zone... Even though it's dangerous. Even though we might experience that sinking feeling. Even though we might have to cry out to God and say, Lord, save me. Uh, let's be a people of little faith. But let's be like Peter, who finds himself disorientated because he's, he's not on familiar ground. He's on ground that could give way any moment. 
and only Jesus can step in and save him. And uh, that is my experience. That when I've stepped out, sometimes it's gone disastrously wrong, but I can still cry out. And Jesus puts out his hand and he grasps hold of you. And some of you know what it feels like to be held by Jesus in a situation. doesn't necessarily mean the storm will disappear straight away. It doesn't even necessarily mean that the circumstances change drastically. But you know what it's like to be held in those moments by Jesus. 